You're listening to episode 145 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about your wild mind, the West, and our shadows. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, crazy wanderers. What have you been up to since last week? I am back in Hawaii. Thank goddess. And after what seems like 80 to 90 hours of flying in three weeks, not to mention four countries, I'm stoked that there's not any flying in my future for three weeks. Woohoo! Then I'm taking my kiddo to the Disney Resort on Oahu for her birthday. Super excited because I get to rest too. So this, my friends, is the final episode in our four-part series on our wild minds based on the book by eco-psychologist and underworld guide Bill Plotkin. I know these have been like twice as long as my podcasts usually are, so y'all been troopers for hanging in there, and I'll try to do a little better keeping this one a tad shorter, okay? All right, so the West. The West is where the mystery and the soul lie, and it's so delicious to me. I love the depths and the mystery and the romance with the divine of the West. The West is where the sun sets, descending towards the horizon, seeming to sink beneath the ocean, and the West marks the end of the day, bringing us into the night. And this is also how it brings us into the darkness of the psyche encouraging us to turn inward and wondering about all the different meanings of things. And as the day ends, shadows get longer. So the West is often paired with the domain of mystery and shadow, the occult, the esoteric, the secret, the enticing adventure and danger in the unknown. And in our psyche, This might be censored parts of ourselves, repressed part of ourselves, unconscious, right? So it also, the West also has a sub, like the other facets, our shadow. And here's a poem by Daniel Goleman. The range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's little we can do to change until we notice how failing to notice shapes our thoughts and deeds. So the sub-personality, what arises when we come from a wounded place in one of our facets and less cultivated aspects, is our shadow side here in the West. And the tricky thing about this is we can't see them like the shadow that's behind us, but we definitely can notice its impact on our lives. The drama, the deep regrets, the confusion about why the fuck we did something or why the fuck we didn't do something, the ways people might say you have a part that they don't recognize that comes out when you do drugs or drink too much, our shadow. But before we dive into this juicy sub, let's remember the gifts of the West, okay, which are as enticing as the most gorgeous Kona sunset that I get to see almost every night from my place here in Hawaii. So why is the West so delicious to me, even when it contains things like darkness, grief, fear, death, and the unknown? Why even begin this journey into the West? 
Because in the West, in the underworld, we can glimpse and be slayed by visions and a vision of who we were meant to be, meant to live in this lifetime. And in the West, we have a death of sorts of our previous selves, of our default old ways of being, which allows us to reshape like the butterfly caterpillar that dissolves so that they can eventually express its true identity. And as David White puts it, it allows us to make a promise that will kill you to break, right? It's like a vow to manifest the mysterious, the truth at the core of our psyche, and then to bring this as a gift to our people in what we do and how we show up in the world. So that's one good reason. (laughs) And you've heard me mention romance in the West in previous episodes. So here, it's a romance that is like a profound love you feel that you just know you're absolutely fucked when you feel it, right? Bill says it's the thing that promises or threatens to devastate us in all the right ways, turn our lives upside down and inside out, plunge us into magic and rapture, and in the bargain, liberate us from whatever doldrums our everyday lives may have marooned us in. I mean, yes, right? Isn't the West seeming more enticing to you? So this is romance, not just with another human, but being entranced by sunsets and sunrises, lightning and thunder, raging rivers, babbling alpine brooks, raunchy dance parties under the sky, and the flutter of ballet slippers, jazz and heavy metal, songs and poetry, right? The mystery, the divine, and the everyday stuff too. And These aspects of the West, this mystery, this darkness, this deep imagination often gets lost in, ironically, the Western culture, or more accurately, modern industrialized society. But through cultivating this aspect of ourselves, being in love with it all, we can have adventure every day, magic, feeling fresh and alive and engaged and connected. We evolve and grow and contribute to the rest of the planet doing so as well. However, this growth often requires us to make some major shifts, and this usually isn't easy. In fact, it's usually scary as fuck, and it shakes us to our core. And when we finally surrender to what's possible in the West, we can see the futility of the way that we've been doing things, our default way of being, our boring, useless routines, right, with others and in the world. And we feel exposed and vulnerable and ready. So the West is also a place of change, but not this like superficial change that happens when you add a spice to a dish or a splash of color to an outfit, but deep change like that of the butterfly caterpillar that literally dissolves in its chrysalis and allows its old self to die, to be no more. The knowing that we have access to one in the West allows us to understand meaning of things beyond intellectual understanding. So we can intuit symbols, archetypes, visions, metaphors we can imagine. Oh my gosh. Did you, so the cells of a I was just making this connection with the West, the cells of a chrysalis, like are in the chrysalis, they that then after it dissolves form, um, create the form of the butterfly are called imaginal cells. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Anyway, 
From the West point of view, to love something is to help it evolve. And this means the capacity to let go so the other can surrender to this dying of what it used to be, right? The anima or animus or inner beloved, as Bill likes to call it, or the inner guide to soul, all of which I'll say more about in a bit. But when we're strongly manifesting our West qualities for other people, they tend to see us as magician, wanderer, one who explores the unknown. Psychopomp. I don't know if you know that word. I just learned about it in my work with Bill, but it's someone who guides souls to the place of the dead, which is often like too morbid for modern industrialized society, right? They're like, don't talk about it. I don't want to hear about us dying. (laughs) Others might see us as a guide to soul. Bill also calls it the muse, the beloved. You know, and when when I'm guiding, it's not uncommon that after the fact, people will say, "Oh, it, it was like, um, it's like you were doing shaman work or like this healing work." And I personally identify my work in the West as being a soul midwife. So, how others see us, even if that may be not how we see ourselves, when we're deeply manifesting the qualities of the West, those are the types of ways it might be interpreted, right? I like soul midwife. That works for me because I was a midwife for a long time too. And in modern industrialized societies, many people have no or little or just intermittent access to their West qualities because of educational, social, religious, recreational suppression of our wild creativity. Like, I think you may have heard me talk about when I was looking at a potential um, public school for my kid there are these charter schools and one of them was really proud at how they disciplined kids and made sure that they stood in line with their hands behind their back and zipped their mouth and weren't allowed to talk. And I was like, no, are you turning my kid into a little soldier? No, like I'm not sending my kid here. And so the West and the South actually get really repressed, right? And so then we're left with this kind of utilitarian, unimaginative bullshit that leaves us disconnected from nature's ways, and it undermines the health and survival of our community, of humanity, of other species, and of the Earth's environment. So if we listen to the West, we can know that if we're truly in the West, it's not going to be as destructive as, say, modern industrialized society, right? Because the ideas in the West emerge from nature itself, from our deep imagination that is kept free from these more repressive acts that we can still access somewhere within us, right? Because one of the ways nature expresses itself is through us crazy humans. And in modern industrialized society, we've forgotten this understanding within us that the strategic mind does not get by itself or have the ability to determine what's worth doing in life. That's actually something that we have to step out of our strategic minds for. To do that, we have to develop a partnership with the West, with the soul and the mystery of the West, the muse of the West. But when we do tap into it, like we do through like the activities and adventures and altered state experiences in the adventure mastermind, our soul shows us our individual purpose, our destiny, but on a level that's not part of the strategic mind. It's metaphorical or mythopoetic, as Bill likes to say. Then it's our muse that inspires 
how we're going to bring that to the world, our delivery system for what our soul desires, right? The career, the project, the craft, the thing that to us is filled with adventure, freedom, and purpose. Then our ego, our healthy ego, the ego that isn't coming from a wounded place, gets to implement all that shit and make it happen, right? So there's some good things about the ego there. Because if we only hang out in the West, we'll come up with all these great ideas, but then not do anything with them. And everything we do is more fulfilling when done with our imagination. Most things we're doing require this, right? Teaching, creating art, having amazing sex, cooking a meal for loved ones, raising kids, teaching, taking inner adventures, entering into altered states of consciousness. These can't genuinely be done without the integration of our imagination, of the West facet of the self. So because of this, in the West, we're open to other ways messages might arrive beyond words. We might see signs and symbols in our waking life and in our dream life on the Adventure Mastermind. We'll be doing even more dream work this round, right? I'm adding a whole new layer of it to the upcoming cohort. And it's amazing what we open up to when we invite the West in in this way. Come to me in my dreams. Show me. The West holds our intuition, the deep imagination, the ability to recognize and appreciate things that can't be seen with our normal eyes, right? That might not be able to be observed with any of the senses or, like I said, figured out with our strategic minds. These are the feminine qualities of imagination, and it doesn't have to do with gender. This is the qualities, and we all possess them. The masculine aspect of our imaginations, being able to conceptualize, take initiative, our capacity for this innovative action, the philosophical insight. These enable us to act on and express what might otherwise only just be felt or intuited. We bring it out into a manifestation. So we need access to both these aspects. Otherwise, if we're too masculine, we end up insensitive, literal, overly logical, overly analytical. And if we're too in our feminine, we end up too uh, in passive action, too conventional instead of creating something from what we've discovered. So the West is the place for what Bill calls fruitful darkness. And I love that. So what are the dark and unexplored realms in your life, the things you might have steered away from because they seemed a little dangerous? Maybe it's a desire to know like unconventional people, like healers, underworld guides, maybe um, a desire for atypical social or recreational situations. Unusual depending on where you live, I suppose, but maybe like living out of your car as a dirtbag climber or trans dancing, just a fascination with that, right? Or unconventional work, like being a climbing guide or a dominatrix. Yes, I did just say those two in the same sentence. (laughs) Or one of my faves, non-ordinary states of consciousness through dance, drumming, deep meditation, or entheogenic plants adventurous or mysterious locations, like the industrial districts of old cities. I remember going to the industrial district of Istanbul for this kind of like Burning Man type thing going on there. It was amazing. Maybe nomad lands or wild terrain like deserts and swamps. So you can see that the West is the mysterious, enticing, and deliciously dangerous parts of the journey. The inevitable death that comes with deep love for ourselves. And 
The West is also a lover of the world, of everything about it, especially its mysteries. So the East from last week, right, it gets high with the universal. The West gravitates towards the unique. The East wants to ascend to the heights and get the big picture, the meta view, while the West wants to get into the down and dirty, shadowy darkness. The East is extroverted, the West is introverted. The East is lighthearted, and the West digs wallowing in the heavier shit of life, right? East and West are each essential gateways into our spiritual lives. But East specializes in this universal transpersonal stuff like God and the Tao. And in the West is the unique, unusual, transpersonal, our sole purpose, our mythopoetic identity, as Bill likes to say. So together, spirit and soul, the upper world and underworld, are complementary halves of our human spirituality. If you have one of these alone, it's incomplete. You can check out episode 105 about soul and spirit. That could be really helpful for this. Without spirit, our soul becomes too heavy and self-centered. And without soul, spirit becomes ungrounded and too spacey and out there. Okay? So I promised I'd be trying to keep these a little shorter. So I'm going to let you explore the life-enhancing qualities of the West more deeply on your own if you want. But I know most of us are curious about this mysterious other side of the West, our shadows, and what happens when we come from a wounded place in the West. So back to this poem by Daniel Goleman that I opened with. The range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's little we can do to change until we notice how failing to notice shapes our thoughts and deeds. The West contains our shadows, y'all. When we become aware and we're open to the idea that there are things that we are failing to notice that are shaping how we show up in the world, then we can begin to do this work. Then we have more possibility for change. Most elements of our personal shadow, like your wildness, your erotic nature, risk-taking, your capacity to speak with spirits or other gifts of a medium or a channel— They're available in personal resources that were unconsciously disowned and repressed during childhood and early adolescence in your psyche's attempts, whether it was successful at it or not, to win acceptance socially from your family or community or friends, right? We may think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that then, but it's not really a mistake. This was actually necessary so that you could form a socially accepted personality, your first identity. So we all had to go through this, right? Later, to heal and begin to hold, and maybe for some of you that's right now, then we descend into those dark areas and retrieve those vital lost pieces of ourselves. And Bill describes different types of shadows. The sinister shadow, it can appear in our dreams, like us doing things we can't imagine in our waking life, or maybe we're getting stalked, right? It can also be projected. A projection's like an unconscious transfer of your own emotions or traits onto another person, or like your unconscious desires onto another person that we'll call your screen, or sometimes onto a whole group of people, right? So for example, people of one nation or ethnicity might project evil, onto those of another group. Some people with repressed sexuality might experience certain others as slutty 
or maybe a female CEO with multiple graduate degrees, they criticize a woman running for Senate as power hungry, right? So how does that saying go? The the pot calls the kettle black, right? Like an anti-abortion extremist who says, I'm pro-life, but would consider killing a person who provides abortions, right? We also have a golden shadow. The golden shadow has traits our egos think of as too positive to be ours, qualities that we're like super into, right? That we consider really virtuous or really elevated. Like, oh, that person is so selfless, so talented, so creative, right? Or creative urges, like spontaneously dancing or singing. So how can a shadow contain positive qualities? Well, listen, the shadow is just the opposite of the ego, and the ego includes self-destructive, self-deprecating, and antisocial attitudes, right? We see that in the past episodes, in the subs, in the loyal soldiers, the wounded children, the addict subpersonalities. So we may have been abandoned or punished if we express these positive qualities that our parents considered inappropriate or that made them uncomfortable or jealous. And the shadow contains all aspects of the psyche inconsistent with our conscious ego, whether we decide it's good or bad. So when it's projected in a golden way, Maybe this shows up like someone who is so easily to fall in love with someone, convinced they're perfect, convinced they're their soulmate. And this isn't the first time it's happened. Or someone who puts spiritual teachers on the like guru above being human pedestal and they're devastated when there's a fall from grace because they're human. And a projection can show up when we're activated by someone that we haven't even really gotten to know or who we haven't even really met. Like you see someone and you're repelled by them, or you see someone and you feel antagonized by them. I experienced this once when I met someone in a group program I was in, and I was put off by him, grossed out. I'd have dreams of his facial features in my sleep, like his big chin or his ears. And it was like, what is going on? And then I receive this when people do the type of projection called transference. So when um, someone's wounded parent relationship shows up in therapy and they hate me, like right off the bat, if I remind them of their mother or in another situation, maybe of their abusive sister, but they aren't aware of the association until much later. So over time, with that example I gave of me and um, the person in my group, it turns out it was my shadow I was projecting onto him. The world is a mirror, right? And when our shadow self is acted out, it might look like someone who is like really well-behaved and vanilla on the outside, maybe like a devout religious person. And then they wake up in a room naked with bottles of alcohol around them, a used condom on the floor without any memory of the night before. And instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. It's like, I was possessed and the devil made me do it, right? So what's tricky about our shadows is by definition, they are unknown to us. And it's really important you grok this. The shadow isn't what we know, but we're trying to hide. Like all the dark, hard things that we're conscious of, but maybe we don't like and we don't want others to see. Like if we're really scared, but we put it out like we're confident. Or we know we have a lot of aversion and hatred to things in the world, but we put out with really sweet words and nice actions, but inside we have rage and hate. 
or we're fearful of rejection, but our East sub gets us to drink at parties to help us feel more comfortable and relaxed, and we know that, these are all conscious processes. We are consciously hiding them. The shadow is what's true about us that we don't even know about ourselves. And if someone pointed it out, we'd be like, oh, hell no. We would like deny it and sincerely deny it, not just deny it because we're trying to save face. So what is the purpose of this? And like the other subs, right, when we're coming from a wounded place, it protects us. It protects us from doing shit that would get us in big trouble, whether it's real or whether it's just perceived risk. And these can also be like these forbidden parts of ourselves, right? And many people think their shadow is just this dark and shadowy shit, like things society consider to be really taboo, like cheating on your partner, using certain drugs. But if you know these things about yourself, they're not your shadow. And this isn't the way that shadow is quote unquote dark anyway. Whether or not the elements of your shadow are socially taboo, they're dark simply in the sense that they're unknown at least to you. Others might see it, but you're just like, nope, you're wrong. They're hidden, right? Many other elements of shadow could be socially acceptable in certain contexts, but not personally acceptable to our ego, like drinking, sex before marriage, moving out of your parents' house. In different contexts, those things are socially acceptable, but might not be individually, right? So as Bill says, the shadow's what's true about who you really are, but you haven't a clue about it. It's the buried rage in someone who is like, I just love everyone. It's the axe murderer in someone's dreams. It's the feminist walking around with the misogynist somewhere deep in their psyche. It's your own goodness and magnificence that you don't see in yourself, but you are able to see in others. It's the killer in a pro-lifer. The shadow is what you fail to notice about yourself. And like the examples I gave earlier, the shadow can be fully repressed. Like let's use sexuality since that's a juicy one. So your sexuality, your eroticism can be repressed. And if you don't express it um, in your behavior, that's one example of the way, right? It's just like completely repressed. Or we can have that it's expressed, but you're unaware of it. So people are like, oh my gosh, that dress, you picked such a sexy dress. And you're like, um, no, I got it at a vintage shop. It's like totally covers me up. You know, it's a period piece or whatever. Or you put your hand on someone seductively and your friend's like, oh, it seems like you're kind of into them. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? It's just a casual touch. And you're surprised they said that. Or if you see others manifesting super sexual behavior and you get kind of jealous and you want to be like that, whether you admit it or not, and you believe, however, that you're in no way like that at all. We can also see our shadows day to day when we project our own socially unacceptable traits onto others, like fear or um, cowardice, rage, weakness, anger, greed, sexuality right? Pride. Arrogance probably is a better word. Sometimes we project our shadow elements onto people of different colored skin or from other nations or with different religious beliefs. We project these elements onto other than human aspects of nature, like fearing without truly understanding bears, the night, dark forests, snakes, wolves, bats, or my personal fave to be afraid of, tight caves. <laughs> now, 
the initial goals of working with our shadow are to uncover our unacknowledged wounded traits, take responsibility for them, radical responsibility, and learn to soften them, maybe even eliminate them, and stop projecting them onto others. This way, we're less likely to unconsciously sabotage our relationships and opportunities. So the goal when we start this work is at first to at least get us into a neutral place and a more balanced personality that functions more authentically, not in a conforming way, right? The more advanced goal of shadow work is to get to know our shadow more intimately so we can unearth the gift it has for us to live a more authentic life, to embody our soul purpose, our deepest passions, right? To be in the woods, to dance, to love with reckless abandon, to go live and be a climber, be a skier, whatever it is. But we have a problem because if the shadow, by definition, is something we're not aware of, how do we work with it? Because not only do we not know exactly what we're looking for, but it's also that what we're looking for doesn't want to be found. And we don't really want to find it on some levels. That's why it's stayed hidden for so long, right? So one of the ways we can best work with our shadow is to begin the work of becoming conscious of it. We're noticing that we're not noticing, and now we're starting to become conscious of it. So we have to look for these indirect signs. Like when I was activated by someone I barely knew, I got curious about that. We can get curious about what shows up in our dreams, what is brought to us by our inner healing wisdom on plant medicine journeys. We can get curious when we notice strong reactions to others' behaviors too, right? Those are great places to look more deeply. And remember that projection is the unconscious transfer of our emotions, desires, or traits onto another person, your screen, or sometimes onto a whole group. But the helpful aspect about projections and their screens is they give us a chance to discover something about ourselves through what we see in others, right? It's like looking in a mirror, a a mirror of our psyche, Except at first we don't know it's a mirror. We just think we're seeing someone else. So often we know we're projecting because of the intensity of our emotional reaction we have to that other person, especially when there's someone we don't know well or at all, and especially when we have reason to believe that most people would disagree with us or not be as impacted. So some other ways that we can um, look for signs to get curious about, Bill lists in his book here. Um, like I said, our dreams, right? Characters in our dreams, especially nightmares that give us strong emotional charge, positive or negative or both. Characters we swear we're not anything alike or people in life to whom we have any strong emotional reaction, not just people we don't like, like in my personal example, but also those we admire or fall in love with. Our personal qualities, most of our best friends have in common, but we believe we don't or couldn't possess at all. That's the golden shadow. Another golden shadow is heroines in in movies or in books or archetypes or people in life that we feel are exceptionally admirable, right? If we have really strong negative or positive feelings about people of different genders, professions, cultures, race, religion, nations, political parties. There's the classic example of a homophobe whose own attraction to the same sex was repressed. 
deeply disturbing characters from our altered state journeys. Those could be places to get curious. Episodes of acting so unlike ourselves that afterward we're like, that couldn't have been me. Episodes of extreme emotional reactions to events, overreactions to events, yeah? Anything we've been accused of by a family member, friends, colleagues, even our own children, that we're like, that could not be further from the truth, right? That cannot be anywhere near true about me. Or, I love this prompt, the way you would complete the sentence, the one thing absolutely not true about me is, right? The Another thing is it could be the opposite of the one thing that you feel is absolutely true about you. <laughs> Nearing. Or, if someone was writing an article about you and you knew it would be in the paper, in all the magazines, in all the news, what are the three words that might be used to describe you? that you believe would destroy you, shame you, send you into a rage, or have you wanting to escape life forever? Maybe a slut, selfish, fraud. What would those three words be? Now, these things don't definitely mean something is your shadow, but they're helpful places to get curious. So then what do we do if we don't know? Well, then we treat it as if it is our shadow and see what happens. If we get intimate with it, and then we have an intense emotion or some powerful insight, that's a good indicator. Now we can work with an element of our psyche that we have the opportunity to explore in order to eventually find and retrieve the gift, the resource that it holds for us. So we're doing the work of making conscious what was previously unconscious. With a projection, we own up, hey, I've acted in the same way, right? That I believe my screen acted. Or I at least secretly wanted to act that way. And then we make whatever amends we need to through apology, through restitution, right? We stop blaming our current partner or other people in a relationship for the challenges in our relationship. And instead, we start to cultivate the resource that we lacked and needed in the old relationship. Y'all have heard in these past episodes that we often are trying to heal old relationships in our current relationship. So instead of blaming our partner, we own it and we start to cultivate the resources that we now need in the current one that we didn't have in the old one. And many of the resources we need in order to have a more fulfilling relationship or to bring forth our most creative work, they're hidden there. They're stuck in the darkness of our minds. So like with the other subs, while it was helpful before, our shadow now keeps us from growth and living more authentic, fulfilled life. If we don't do this work, we create unnecessary pain and suffering. Like, I'm going to go project onto someone. They're going to be pissed about it. They're going to retaliate by rejecting me, which activates my wounded child. So then I freak out and overdrink to avoid the fear of abandonment that arises. It's a fucking vicious circle, right? So doing this work is key to decreasing unnecessary suffering. So how can we uncover shadow elements and integrate them in a way that, like, minimizes the damage they might cause? So first, like with the other subs, but particularly true to shadow work, you don't want to attempt this work alone unless you have a really good access to the resources of all the facets, the north, south, east, and west, right? Right? 
If you don't, you'll want to at least be working with someone who has expertise in guiding others into this area. So not just as an experienced therapist who's trained in classical CBT or EMDR, but this level of soul work, this shadow work. Because y'all, I didn't learn this at Johns Hopkins or UCSF when I was there. I had to seek this out myself. I got training from Gabor Mate, Dick Schwartz, explored Debbie Ford's work. I did apprenticeship with Bill Plotkin and Sage Magdalene. Like I had to seek this out on my own, right? There are some depth psychology schools that might be better at teaching this, right? But many mainstream institutions do not. And this is important, particularly in the West, because the West gives us the most challenging and dangerous opportunities. So when approaching the shadow, if we're not careful, we can actually be blindsided by what we fail to notice, right? Because that's what the shadow is by definition. So even if we have a decent degree of self-awareness, our ego can get profoundly overwhelmed by what our shadow brings forth into our consciousness. So it's best to enter into this space with adequate support, right? This is also why we do so much preparatory work before our altered states journeys in the Adventure Mastermind. It's also why my application assesses what are some of the resources you have? What have you experimented with, right? Because this work is not for everyone at every stage, right? This work is for when we have cultivated certain resources um, if we're going to do it on our own, and if we've cultivated certain resources and with a guide and others, right? And remember that we'll need our East's wisdom, the light, the humor, the non-attachment to address the heaviness and darkness in our shadow and the ego's overreaction to it. We need the nurturing, generative adult of the North to care for our wounded children of the South, who will for sure be activated by what becomes revealed to us, right? When we encounter our shadow. And our wild indigenous one of the South can be available to help us somatically experience all the emotions that arise and to find joy in how our formerly repressed emotions are actually a vital part of our being, of our humanity. So our shadow contains values, perspectives, and capacities that we need to balance our authentic self. It has unique gifts. It has the strengths that we need on the journey to soul and in carrying out and bringing our gifts to the world, right? Like how might it be different if the person waking up from that drunken stupor finds more meaning if they were able to access and cultivate their wild indigenous one of the South instead of unconsciously acting it out in immature and self-destructive ways? How might tyrants like Hitler or past presidents be humbled and softened by finding the evil in themselves and in their own country rather than belligerently projecting it onto others, right? Robert Bly says, we spend the first 20 years of our life stuffing 90% of our wholeness into the long bag we drag behind us and the rest of our life attempting to retrieve these items. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but my bag is pretty damn full. We drag it behind us like our literal shadow because we tend to walk toward the light, but it's behind us and we can't see or understand what's inside. And it's always there with us because it's a part of us, despite our inability to acknowledge it exists, right? So in modern industrialized societies, 
The mystery of the West and the wild indigenous one of the South are the two facets of our natural human wholeness that are most actively suppressed, which makes sense because they're the most dangerous to the bullshit adolescent ways we need to see ourselves and the world to keep the machine going. In order to function at all, modern industrialized society needs the majority of people to be a consumer, a cog in the wheel, the worker be a soldier, and to believe that this is all normal, to believe that this is the way things are supposed to be, the way humans were meant to be, the way things naturally evolve. But these are toxic to our souls, to our communities, and to the earth. So for this to work, this modern industrialized society, we have to crush our imagination, crush our connection to the wild and to our wildness. We need to convince people to numb out on TV or be indoctrinated in the traditional school systems or in inflexible fundamentalist ways of thinking that discourage questioning and challenge, to be afraid to escape through buying, eating, drinking, watching, taking more. Diane de Prima An American poet says, the only war that matters is the war against the imagination. All other wars are subsumed in it. So rebels, we've got some work to do. The childhood war of survival is over for most of us. So how can we cultivate aspects of the West so we can integrate more parts of us and begin healing our wounds from a resourced place? One of the ways we can cultivate the West is to be able to see that the treasures of the West are within us, just waiting to be revealed. It is, right? And then if it calls to you, heed the call. Don't put it off until a more convenient time. There won't be one. There won't be an easier time, a better time, next time, later. We can also start to trust our intuition when we need to make an important decision, like who we'll spend the rest of our precious life with, or what career we'll choose, or do we radically change our lifestyle to be more aligned with protecting the earth and all its beings? We can do this with more day-to-day experiences in how we show up in the world, how we respond instead of react to our partner when they reach out for connection or for help how we'll work with the team on a project, how we write a poem or a song or choreograph a dance or how we just show up and dance under the disco ball. This may take some practice, right? So another thing we can do is create more stillness so we can hear the still small voices, the quiet ones, the ones that hide. We can slow the fuck down, head outside or into a meditation room, take some deep breaths. We can call forth our intuition and invite our analytical minds to chill out intentionally, take a rest. This exists within all of us. And we've all had one experience or another of things that show up in our dreams or when visions arise out of nowhere, we just have this feeling. So how does it feel to be alive in that way? in an evolving world that has this magic. And we can ask our West, our intuition, our muse, that um, that guide, ask for help. Let them know what decision we need to make, what question we're sitting with, what opportunity we have that we're considering. And this cultivates a relationship with our inner muse, our inner beloved. And we can continue this by engaging in things that help us tap into this aspect of ourselves, like poetry and writing, singing, dancing, or any other art form. So if this is so foreign to you, great. Like this is opportunity to start cultivating those qualities. 
We can immerse ourselves in things like dream work, deep imagery, study mythology, ritual, mystery traditions, depth, and archetypal psychology. These are ways we can cultivate the resources of the West as we do this work. And remember that advanced West subpersonality work, our shadow work, can be hazardous psychologically, spiritually, and interpersonally. Right? So on the Adventure Mastermind applications, like I actually, unlike other programs that have you just do an application for effect, I, I actually often turn down people, not because they aren't amazing, but because it's not the right time for this kind of work. And they'd benefit more from one-on-one before entering into the space as we go. And they're not devastated. They're stoked that I didn't just throw them into the fire, right? To something that wasn't going to be in their best interest for where they're at at this moment, right? So be gentle, safe, and discerning in this work. Okay, friends. So there's our last episode in the intro to our Wild Mind series, and I hope you enjoyed this perspective. I really hope that what Joanna Macy said is true. She said, the most remarkable feature of this historical moment on earth is not that we're on the way to destroying the world. We've actually been on the way for quite a while. It's that we are beginning to wake up as from a millennia-long sleep to a whole new relationship to our world, to ourselves, and each other. And that's why I do this work and this podcast, that we heal ourselves, our communities, and the world. May it be of benefit. Hey everyone, I am recording this from my condo in Hawaii, and sometimes I wonder, how the hell did little me that grew up in this poor and violent neighborhood create this life I have right now? And I want to tell you, it had to do with doing this kind of work, facing my shadows, doing these things that seem so hard and scary, but doing them in an environment that felt safe and with a community of people that supported me. And that's what I've created in the Adventure Mastermind, a place to do this work in a way that's much easier, much more supported. So we have one spot left. Come and join us. Our first retreat is in Hawaii, March 30th. So head over to adventuremastermind.com and turn in that application. I look forward to seeing it. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.